Can use the mic. verse in this message is verse 11 
Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And my message today is the second half of that two-part series covering verses 8 through 14. And verse 11 is right in the middle of 8 through 14. And it is a profound verse for me, and I'll tell you why later. But to begin with, we want to look briefly at some context. Now, the context of, of chapter 6, verses 8 through 14, is in, as in the broader picture of the whole book of Romans. The first five chapters of Roman, Romans, Paul writes about justification by faith through God's grace. And we need God's grace, right? We need God's grace because all of sin and all short of the glory of God. And uh, that's what Paul argues. And then he writes in chapter 4, verse 25, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Justification, as I'm sure we all know, is just as if we had never sinned. So when Jesus died, uh, or Jesus by his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, bought for us forgiveness and a new life. Justi justification is a one-time event. When we, by faith, trust Jesus, that is when God puts to death in us sin. God puts to death in us sin and creates us into new creations. When uh, Jolene and I got married, along with our son Michael, in 1997, all three of us were instantly changed. Our identities were instantaneously transformed. Before we were married, I was a bachelor. Jolene was a widow. And Michael was an orphan in the sense that he lost his biological father. But once we were married, I instantly changed from being a bachelor to a husband and a father. Jolene instantly changed from being a widow to being a wife. And Michael instantly changed from being an orphan to being a son. You see, it's not gradual. It was not slow. Instantaneously, all three of us had brand new identities. That is what justification is like. When we say, I do to Jesus, Jesus instantly transforms us into sons and daughters of God. New creations. And so justification is a point we identify and are identified with Christ. We are in Christ. We are united with Christ. As Paul writes about in Romans chapter 6. Paul also writes about sanctification in chapter 6, which is the other side of the same coin with justification. And I, I believe chapter 6 through 8 is generally about sanctification. And as we know, sanctification is a process of becoming more like Jesus over time. In Romans 6.22, Paul writes, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Our whole life in Christ, the work of God purging us from our sin and infusing us with Christ's likeness. 
works in us and through, through us over time to sanctify us when we submit to him and obey him. It's a slow, often painful process of transformation. As we offer ourselves to Christ and learn to obey him, he transforms us into the likeness of himself. So justification and sanctification are linked together. Justification happens at one point in time when we put our faith in Jesus, who paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. At that point of justification, we become dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Again, the key verse here in our message, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So sanctification is the process of learning to, to, learning to incorporate the dead to sin and alive to Christ in our daily lives. By faith and by grace and by his power that is within us through the Holy Spirit. So back to the illustration of Jolene, myself, and, and Michael. The moment we were married, we all had new identities. Bachelor to husband to father, widow to wife, and orphan to son. That's justification, right? We were dead to our old selves and alive to our new selves. Now we are learning and being transformed in our daily lives into new selves of husband, father, wife, and son. It is also a painful and messy and hard process, but it's necessary to be who we are. A, a functioning family of husband and wife, father and son, mother and son. This is, this is sanctification. Learning how to be like Christ and to be transformed into being more and more like him. That lengthy, often painful and messy process, being who we are in Christ, being who we are in Christ. So I ask you to keep this in mind as we look at verses eight through 14 in chapter six. Since this was the second half of a two-part sermon, I'd like to summarize the first part, which covered verses one through seven. Briefly, this is what those verses teach us. Paul in chapter 6 is answering the question he brought up in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace, so that grace may abound? And he answers his own question with another question in verse 2. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Then he, he goes on to prove the truth of this answer in verse 2 in the rest of chapter 6. Now today we are only concerned with verses 1 through 14 and specifically 8 through 14. And verses 1 through 7 I will summarize here and then we'll dig into verses 8, and 14, 8 through 14. Just because we are under God's grace, his grace is greater than our sin, does not mean we are free to sin. Why? Because we have, we have died to sin, Paul argues. Jesus 
So we too are crucified with Christ. And sin is dead in us. And we are dead to sin. We are dead to sin because dead sin is dead in us. This is the key concept to know. Sin is dead in us. And we are dead to sin. We are justified by faith. And the penalty of sin is void. The power of sin over uh, us has been nullified. For we who have died to sin through faith in Christ are set free from sin. Sin has no dominion over us. Now I'm going to tell you, um, try to tell you, Romans 6, 1 through 14 changed my life. we 
have died with Christ, being baptized into his death, and being buried along with him, Paul states that we also live with him. Since we are united in his death, we will also be united in his life. And in verse 9, Paul says, we know. This is the third time he repeats the word know. In verse 3, Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And then in verse 6, he writes, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So verses 3 and 6 tell us that we have been baptized into Christ's death. By faith we have died with Christ that our old self, that sinful self, has been crucified with him, freeing us from enslavement to sin. But Paul tells us we know this. And now in verse 9, what do we know? We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So we know Christ has risen from the dead. This is, this is a historical fact. Testified to by the apostles and many others who saw Jesus walk the earth alive again after he had died and was buried according to the Gospels and the book of Acts. Since he has been raised, he will never die again. He, he conquered death, which is the penalty for sin, so death no longer has dominion over him. No power. Jesus is alive evermore. And then Paul makes this incredible statement in verse 10. He says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus' death was for the purpose of dying to sin for us. The Son of God, whose life took on this mortal coil, this, this body of flesh, this incarnate shell, so that he could die for us. He had no sin of his own. But he voluntarily took on our sin on the cross. So the death that, that sin earns, Jesus paid for us. The wrath, God, the wrath of God that sin earns, he endured for us. So that he could be our substitute and, des and destroy sin's dominion over us once for all. Once for all time. Christ is the only solution available to the problem of death and sin. And when he died to sin, in the sense he killed sin for all time. For those who trust in him once and for all. And so the life he now lives, he lives to God. Jesus destroyed death and its accompanying sin. By coming back to life in the body of flesh, in a physical body, Jesus has new life. His new life is living to God, bringing God glory, always. Which he did even before he had a new physical, resurrected, and now glorified body. 
dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus our Lord died to sin and lives for God. So we too must die to sin and live to God. So Paul is calling us to repent and be who we are in Christ. We are dead to sin and alive to Christ. Let us live like it. Be who we are in Christ. We are united with Christ in his death and united with him in his life, according to verse 8. So let us consider, let us count, let's reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ so that we might be who we are in Christ. We must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. The Greek word translated must consider is an imperative, a, a divine imperative, or a command, if you like. When we consider ourselves dead to sin, it is imperative we act like it. We act accordingly. Why is this so important to God for us? Because we have been born again. We are new creations. We are not the old person we once were before Christ. We, we can't be anymore because the old person was crucified with Christ and dead and buried. I can't be a bachelor anymore. I don't want to be. I don't want to be. But that identity is gone. I'm a husband and a father. Jolene's not a widow. She's a wife. She's my wife. Michael's not an orphan. He's my son. The old that was a slave to sin is dead. So we have been set free from sin. What is, what is God's best for us? To be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ now. Alive to God in Christ. Now this brings glory to God. We must count ourselves as dead to sin because that is who we are in Christ. And consider ourselves alive to God because that is who we are in Christ. That is what God wants us to be. That which he recreated us to be. The new creation is dead to sin and alive to God. But we still sin, don't we? We still sin. How does that work? And what do we do about it? Jesus died on the cross and rose to pay the penalty for our sin. He paid the penalty in our place. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ. Paul tells us later on in Romans, Christ bore on the cross the condemnation for our sin and its penalty of death. And we are we're still living in this body of flesh that still wants to sin. But our souls have been redeemed, not our bodies. Since Christ died to sin, we also must then consider ourselves dead to sin. We must reckon ourselves dead to sin. If something is dead, what can it do? Nothing. No animation, no life, no power. Sin is dead in us. We don't have to sin anymore because sin has no power over us, the Bible tells us. But when 
us to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. No, not only to forgive us, but also to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. This is a part of the sanctification process, being washed from all the ungodliness and sin. So living for Jesus is resisting sin and submitting to God. Resisting sin and submitting to God. Let's move to the final section here, 12 through 14. We are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, so we are able to resist the reign of sin in our lives. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as sin in, uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. The power of sin has been destroyed for us and in us. So Paul says, let not, because now we have a choice to allow sin in our lives or not. When the urge or the inclination to sin arises in our lives, we can say, no. Nancy Reagan in the 1980s told the <coughs> children, the young people, just say no to drugs. But did they have the power to say no? We as believers in Christ have the power of the Holy Spirit to obey him and to say no to sin. Sin is not on the throne of our lives anymore. Sin does not reign in our lives anymore. Sin has no, no power over us, no dominion, no authority, because Christ killed sin and put it to death for us and in us. We do not have to obey the sinful passions of our flesh anymore. How do we know this? Because God is telling us in his word. And God is not a liar. We believe the Bible. We believe God. Then we must live like we do and be who we are in Christ. Those who have been set free from sin. And how do we do this? Verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Do not present or offer your members to sin as tools of unrighteousness. The NIV translates, do not offer any part of yourself to sin. This is the resist sin part by not presenting ourselves to sin. Do we want to offer any part of ourselves to the God of sin? To the idol worship of our own sin? No. No. A thousand times no. Sin is dead in us. And we are dead to sin. We now have a choice to resist sin or submit to it. Let us choose to resist because the old is gone sin is dead in us 
does not rule over us anymore. Instead, we are to offer or present ourselves to God. The NIV translates it, offer every part of yourself to God. We cannot offer ourselves to sin anymore because we are new creations in Christ. We are born again. We're born anew. Born of God. We were bought with a price. And we are not our own. We are children of God in Christ by faith. We offer or submit ourselves to God because that is who we are in Christ. God's treasured possession. God's adopted sons and daughters. Children of light. Because we have been brought from death to life. We are dead in our sins. And now through Christ we are alive to God. The old is gone. The new has come. Praise the Lord. I, it is great and a wondrous thing to be known by God. And to know his son. The living God. You know, I go to the gym three times a week. Another thing I copy from Orville. <laughs> He goes more often than I do. But I'm offering myself to work out so that my body gets in shape and stays in shape. I, I didn't used to work out. I did very little physically. No exercise. I sat around all the time. But about a year ago, I joined the Sportsplex in Waterloo because I wanted to get in shape. I sacrificed other things to work out. It is hard. And it hurts. But at the same time, I feel good. And it is a benefit to me. In the same way, we offer ourselves to God for our good and for His glory. It may not feel good all the time. It might hurt. And it can be painful. But He is worth the sacrifice, and it's the best thing for us to do. We offer every part of ourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. We aren't to offer any part of ourselves to sin and unrighteousness, but we offer every part of ourselves to God as tools for righteousness. God can and will use us as instruments for righteousness. When we resist sin in our lives, repent of our sin, be washed daily by the blood of the Lamb, and offer our meager selves to God, as his tools for righteousness. God has good works for us to do, which he planned from eternity. God will do those good works of righteousness through us when we offer ourselves to him. God calls us, Jesus calls us, to deny, deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He denied himself. He took up his cross. Shouldn't we, as followers of Jesus, do what Jesus did for us? So he is our role model. He offered himself as an instrument for righteousness in his incarnation. The apostles are role models because they offered themselves to God. The church fathers and many others like Billy Graham and many, many others submitted themselves to God to use as instruments of righteousness. All role models and examples for us. Look at verse 14. For sin will, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. This is emphatic. 
will have no dominion over us. Sin has no power, no rule, no pull, no reign, no hold, no addiction, no enslavement, no dominion over us in Christ. Sin will have no dominion over us now, today, and tomorrow. And why doesn't sin have dominion over us? Because we are under grace, the unmerited favor of God. Jesus defeated death, the penalty of sin for, or I mean the penalty for sin at the cross. So death has no dominion over Jesus. And since Jesus eliminated the penalty, for, for, uh, penalty of sin, which is death, sin has no dominion over us. Jesus said he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And Jesus fulfilled the entirety of the moral law for us. His righteousness then has been transferred to us by faith in him. So we are not under law, but under God's grace in Christ. Again, so that sin will have no dominion over us. If I consider myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, and I want to be who I am in Christ, then war against sin must be declared. The battlefield of this war begins in my mind and my eyes. And this is how I do battle. Number one, I remove any idols from my house. If I discover something I love more than Jesus, I get rid of it. I eliminate it, whether it's an object or an action. I remove idols from my house. Number two, I avert my eyes from what tempts me. If it is food or a woman or an object that elicits sinful desires, I turn my eyes from it. So I do not create a mind picture to obsess over. Number three, when sinful thoughts enter or start to enter my mind, I immediately begin reciting memorized scripture. And it doesn't matter if it relates to the sin or not, because it shifts my focus away from sin and onto Christ. Number four, ask for forgiveness and repent immediately and often when I do sin. If it's a besetting, reoccurring sin, I do the same thing. <laughs> Confession and repentance over and over and over again and again. And I have found that Jesus is faithful and helps me eventually overcome even the habitual sin I suffer. And number five. I spend as much time every day in thinking upon and meditating on Jesus' word and on Jesus himself. Sin will ever be present in our lives until we go to be with the Lord, so let's not give in to sin, but resist it and cling to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, in view of your mercies, I pray we will offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you.
spiritual sacrifice. <coughs> I pray we will not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we'll be, we will be able to test and approve what your will